Hello and welcome to the Reinforced Running Podcast. Right. My name Hello. What's going is Rich on? Ryan. So Welcome. So today we have here. some bonus some content here for you. And this one's for the nerds and looking out for you. So in this episode, we're talking about the next phase general in strength. the just Reinforced Training Group, which is a training program and for then OCR athletes. Running workouts. We're gonna be doing we are talking about the next workouts. phase, which is hill and anaerobic capacity and the primary workout. We're talking some general strength in the weight room we're, we're going to go over concepts like wave loading we're going to talk about some capacity, compromised workouts hill we are training. going to talk so look at let's just the dive right in structure itself with the running workout. and so just kind of really do a deep dive on how the program is kind of laid out in a progression starting and why it's like that kind of the, or so the ins and outs of training programming hill running and then we're going to talk about one concept at half marathon to the the podcast where as we progress zones how to figure out your heart rate zone when and how to use your heart rate zones that's been also the building up to Math, MAF, Max Aerobic Function from uh, Phil Maffetone. A little bit about on that is and what that really means and when and where to strenuous work, use it. The, so the it's pretty thick with has, uh, details around training. More and more. If that so that's where the progression thing, has kind of you come like from. It. If it's not your thing, really you're probably not going to like it. So of where we could this be. one we is keep for going, the nerds. I got you. I got you. I got you. So if you want to just try out, this, not, not even have to dive down about it. You can get seven days for free. Some faster RTG reinforced training uh, groups in the show notes. Again, you can lead into this so phase, which is general is strength for OCR and some quite a hill bit, aerobic and aerobic training with some compromised stuff sprinkled in there and some grip work of intensity course, a little bit of mechanical effort a lot of these good up, cool but stuff the coming there's down. also a video so version of you actually want to see what the workouts themselves look on like youtube video I'll put that version in the here uh, in the show notes as well if that's more thing. your thing so and here it's we going go to start with let's do it for a, the notes uh, full of five-minute intervals or so. And there's there's wiggle room here to work with in terms of the volume that you're specifically doing. So right now I have it written as four to five. So anywhere from, from that, like three to five to six rent, uh, rep range of five-minute intervals. And these intervals should kind of feel like your um, quote-unquote threshold pace or so something that you could hold for about an hour, something that's comfortable but hard. And it's going to be a decent amount of recovery in between because it is going to be so hard. It's about two minutes of recovery in between um, each one of these intervals because I want it to be fast. Um, actually, we're taking it at three minutes. So this this pace should, again, probably feel like something that you can hold for uh, a 15K or even like a 10K. So really on the faster end of the running. So each one of these intervals should be pretty difficult. So I want you to hit those at a pretty hard pace. So you should kind of figure out where that is. Um, and this is probably not going to be something you're going to need in your training for like a beast distance, but it could really something you can call into in that super or sprint distance for sure in terms of race specificity. But again, we're using this to really kind of help bump up that anaerobic power. So we've been working a lot on uh, anaerobic capacity. We're working a lot, a lot in, the, in the aerobic system. And we want to make sure things are balanced and we're, we're providing a well-rounded fitness here. So that's why we're going to kind of dip down into some more of the speed. So it's going to make your relative effort on hills feel easier and just your overall speed on them is going to increase for the shorter duration. And as it goes forward, we're going to move into three and a half minutes, then three minute intervals, and then two minute intervals are going to finish up this progression. And each time that it increases, it, it decreases in duration, it's going to increase in the uh, intensity. So 
each patient faster and the recovery is going to drop down. This is going to finish with a 15 minutes at uh, 15% benchmark, one of the classic OCR benchmarks here that's kind of like your 5K fitness over hills. And uh, the key to this workout is to make sure you're not going crazy isn't you're not really hammering uh the first three to five minutes that you're kind of figuring out where that pace is and gradually getting faster and faster and faster so uh it should be done on a treadmill 15 percent, and your your uh your score is the distance that you go over the course of the 15 minutes so this is definitely a grinder and all these workouts are going to be pretty hard and fast as you lead into it so the I personally love these workouts because as we have built our strength up, every time we drop in duration of the intervals, it just makes it seem a little bit more accomplishable to me. I like to wrap my head around something that's a little bit shorter, where the longer efforts is just a grind. <laughs> so these are just uh, things that you can really wrap your head around for the short duration and hammer pretty hard. But if you are an athlete who might not like that feeling of going super intense, that might mean you lean more into that slow twitch muscle fiber type, which is a little bit uh, athletes who like the longer tempo style workouts. And if you don't like doing these, it means you probably should do them more. So we are, again, trying to hit all of the aspects of this hill training uh, to make sure that you're doing things that you don't want to do and you're improving on your weaknesses and you're also doing some of the things you do like to do in terms of the strength. So this is a, uh, what would be called a top-down progression where you're starting with the longer slower things and sharpening down into shorter and faster things as they get shorter and shorter you're probably going to get a little bit more you're probably going to get that anaerobic response quicker like in the two minute intervals you should probably be feeling pretty rough around a minute 10 minute 15 and the five minute intervals you're probably feeling rough around um three and a half to four minutes or so so that pace should increase to really get that anaerobic response here so that you're able to produce more lactate and tr train your body how to work at a higher rate for a longer amount of time so that's really where we are leading into the the major the main running workouts of the of this phase here the other workouts that we are going to be working on in terms of running, is just going to be typical uh, fartlicks. It's going to be one, two, three fartlicks, but with an OCR twist here where we're going to do some compromised work in between the actual up-tempo pace of running. So it'll be one minute of hard running at like about 10K pace and two minutes uh, and then one minute of walking lunges. Two minutes of threshold pace, one minute of walking lunges, three minutes at half marathon pace, one minute of uh, walking lunges. So this is a pretty typical for an OCR workout, just kind of mixing speed. Your uh, energy system development is going to be taken care of on your uh, treadmill hill workout. This is just a good way to help work at a higher end rate and be a little bit more race specific and get familiar with those type of demands that you might be feeling in a race where moving between pace because of varied terrain or because of different aspects of a climb or a carry uh, that will fatigue your legs a little bit more. We're actually going to alternate these. So you're going to be doing the, a lunge fartlek and also a carry fartlek. So that is going to be, the carry fartlek is one minute on at 10K pace, one minute carry, two minutes at threshold pace, two minute carry, three minutes at half marathon pace, three minute carry. So these are going to be longer carries that uh, and a lot more volume there. So we're going to be operating between two and three rounds and progressing um, 
couple more rounds as it goes further into the actual progression. <clears throat> so as it goes forward, it'll be three rounds of the same thing of the lunge fartlek and then uh, three rounds of the carry fartlek. So those are just going to alternate because it's not a really hard set progression in terms of energy development. It's more just being familiar with the demands of the event. Um, so the pace might vary here and there. Logistically, the lunge fartlek will be pretty easy to to be able to uh, execute. You might, if you can do it on trail, that's great. If not, um, I would do this on a treadmill or um, a track type setting, especially for the carry. The carry tempo, the carry fartlek will be best set on a track or on a treadmill, or you could just do a simple out and back. So if you, it's the minute carry or the minute run, uh, run 30 seconds out, run 30 seconds back, pick up the pick up the bucket and you can either run it out for a minute or run it uh, 30 seconds out, 30 seconds back. And then for the two minute run a minute out. So doing some sort of out and back because logistically the carries might, the carry fart like might be annoying. And that's just kind of the deal with OCR workouts in general. <laughs> Sometimes they just suck to do because you need to have a sandbag, you need to have a, uh, some kind of, uh, buckets or something you need to carry. And for the carry tempo, you can move things between uh, the bucket, sandbag, or farmers. Whatever carry you feel like you need to work on, whatever is logistically easiest for you, make sure that's what you're doing. So that is what the uh, the running workouts specifically are going to look like. And on the easy runs, so that's going to be Tuesday and Fridays. That's how that will be structured. It's going to be pretty standard on what we've been doing with the the look of the actual uh, training plan itself. There's going to be easy efforts on optional efforts on Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, and a long run on Sunday. So if you're not getting this long run, in, please do. You're we're going to be doing between. Uh, 70 to 100 minutes and make sure you're progressing it each time where you're adding like five to 10 minutes uh, of each week and you're building yourself up or at least try to match it. If you can, if you're just going 70 minutes all the time, you can really cram into make sure you're getting that every single week. You have the option to split this between uh, uh, aerobic running and some cross training. If you haven't built up enough volume to really get yourself to where you need to be in terms of 70 minutes or 80 minutes, 90 minutes of running. Or uh, one thing I like for kind of the hybrid athletes is doing some sort of run, row, ski, like a mile and a half run, 2K row, 2K ski for the uh, set amount of duration. So that's all a good spot to work with um, with your aerobic development. And we're going to talk about and one of the concepts that I want to tackle on this. We're going to be talking about aerobic development in terms of like heart rate training. So hang on tight for that. That'll be toward the end of this and, and really what what some of these numbers mean and how you can kind of put that into practice for yourself. But two real quality sessions when it comes to your, your running. And then there's an option for a somewhat, uh, on Saturdays, we're going to have a Metcon option in here. So these are just going to be pretty straightforward. We're going to be doing some anaerobic capacity stuff with uh, three-minute intervals of some sort of work, like 15-calorie row, 10 walking lunges, uh, five chest-to-bar pull-ups that could be strict or kipping. And you're doing that three minutes all out. You're going to rest two and a half minutes and do that for three rounds. So it should be really kind of high-end work. And then the other ones are going to be more kind of grinders. So this one here is going to be uh, 40, 
40, 30, 20 descending ladder of assault bike calories and devil's press. So again, just kind of a grind there. Uh, the Saturday before that is a longer every minute on the minute of uh, 15 to 12 calories on the assault bike, 10 to 15 pull-ups, uh, kipping or strict up to you. Um, I'd probably do strict with these and then 15 to 12 calorie row and then 40 seconds of farmer's walk. So getting some grip work and vertical pulling in and aerobic work for So for about 40 minutes, it'll be 10 rounds of that workout there. And then again, finishing with an anaerobic, uh, anaerobic capacity, um, some rounds in the gym, 10 walking lunges, 10 burpee over dumbbells, 10 thrusters for two minute AMRAP rest two minutes between for three total rounds. So this is optional work for you. And it's a good way to get a little bit more anaerobic uh, work in without really crushing yourself on the running. Um, so that's completely optional, but it is there for you. All right. So let's talk about, so that's the running kind of wrapped up and the running pieces that you will be taking on this next couple of weeks. So we're still working on hills. That's the main part of pretty much all OCR is making sure you're good at running hills and running on messed up terrain. So let's make our, let's work our way into the strength session here. So the strength sessions, where does this place go? we are going to be working into OCR general strength, which is honestly my favorite type of lifting. It's just about getting as strong as you possibly can without really worrying about the demands of OCR specifically. So lifts are going to be pretty classic lifts. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot of back squats and deadlifts with the idea of just getting as strong as possible. So the rep range is going to be a little bit lower than what it would be in our endurance phase and a little bit heavier than what it would be in a power phase. And again, pretty standard work for the general strength of, of back squats and deadlifts where an OCR specific strength phase, we would be working with things like zerchers, some odd objects, uh, sumo deadlifts to mimic what the tire flip would be. And just kind of like the setup of what lifting something off the ground would be We're working a lot more with sandbags, but for general strength, the idea is getting as strong as possible so that when we work into the specific work, we can move objects a little bit easier. If we were to just do specific strength workouts for OCR, our ceiling for how strong we would be would be much lower. So this is just like a great way to kind of build some, some, uh, like a base of strength. It would be like working at a doing like road thousand meter intervals to help yourself get faster and have better endurance for a trail race. Like the pace itself isn't necessarily going to translate to the obstacle course, obstacle course, but the energy system that you developed will be there. It's almost the exact same thing with the strength piece here. So we want to get strong first and then use that strength and turn it specifically into uh, the workouts that we'll see out on the course. So that's what we kind of phase things in and out. So we're back into OCR general. So it's pretty straightforward barbell, dumbbell lifts. And I'm, uh, like I said, I love this, this part. I think it is going to be a uh, really good progression here. So what we're going to do, we're going to do some wave loading. You'll see the back squats here are going to kind of go up and down. So we're going to start with a five, four, three wave loading pattern here. And what wave loading is, it's uh, this concept called post potentiation activation. And basically what that means, it's a way to kind of prime your system to lift heavier. So you are going to do heavy sets of five, 
four and then three, right around 80%, then 82.5%, and then 85% for that first set of five, four, three. And then after that, we're going to drop the weight back and go and ramp the reps back up. So the rep scheme is five, four, three, five, four, three, and it's 80%, 82%, 85%, and then it goes to 82.5% for the set of five, and then 85% for the set of four, and then 87 and a half percent for the set of three. So these might look a little funny in terms of your percentages in train heroic. So just do your best. Um, if you have one pound plates, use them if you have, but uh, for the most part, you, you might need to round up uh, to the closest five that you have. And so the idea behind this is that after we go through that first wave, your, your system is going to be primed and ready, especially after the heavy set of three, to then go back to that set of five and to be able to lift a little bit more than what you would typically be able to lift if we were doing a linear set of five by five or two by five or three by five. So this is a good way to get volume in with and, and preparing yourself to lift heavy. So a set of five and four on the second wave are really the money makers here for this because you're going to be able to lift heavier than we typically would feel you'd be able to on that first set of five or four. Um, and again, it's not just like we're doing four by five at 80%, building up that weight and actually exceeding where you're going to be uh, on the way back down helps prime your body and really get you ready to lift a little bit heavier. So it is still very hard. <laughs> You're not going to do the five, four, three, and then go back to that five and be like, oh, this is easy. It's going to feel a little bit lighter because you are stripping off weight after you've done a heavy set of three. So it's a pretty cool phenomenon that way, but it does still feel like a lot of volume at a higher amount of, of weight, which it is, which it is. So what I would recommend doing is taking your projected one rep max or, or whatever, what max you see. And in train heroic, you can kind of get a, it, can, it can, there's a working max that will take some of the projections off of some of the lifts you've done in the past, or if you kind of know where that range is. And I would probably take 10% off of that just to give yourself room to really improve on this. Your weight will still get heavier as you go on, but it will allow you to bump your, your, um, your effort up a little bit and be able to add weight as we progress forward. Um, because if you're sticking right around the, the actual percentages, it might be hard to go up in the next week because it's pretty heavy. So just drop, drop your working max down about 10%. And that's something that the um, 531 program uh, recommends. I found some really good success with that and, and, and dropping the weight down. It just makes it a little bit more fun. <laughs> it makes it a little bit easier. And it takes away the whole idea of just like needing to lift heavy for the sake of lifting heavy. So we're going to do that wave loading for both the back squat and the deadlift. And we're going to be doing five, four, three for the two weeks. And then the following week, we are going to do uh, the following two weeks, two to three weeks, we're going to do three to one. So that's just going to be even heavier percentages um, with less volume. So this is a, again, we want to work on full on strength. We want to work at rep ranges, usually below five, below six typically. So we are going to be well under that. And on the three, two, one phase is going to be that 85, 87, 90, 87, 90, and 92 percentages for each of the lifts, uh, respectfully, respectedly, respectfully. So that's kind of what we're, what we're looking at there and getting up to some heavier lifts. So these, these type of lifts are just going to help you get stronger. There's nothing that has anything to do with putting on mass or uh, actually muscle building. You might build some muscle doing any type of lifting if you haven't really done much in the past, but for the most part, the extra muscle is going to be helpful, especially for OCR, the demands that we need. We need to have that muscle mass on us to 
to help prepare ourselves and, and doing the running work with the strength work is just going to help build the pathways into that muscle tissue anyway, that's just going to be advantageous. So, but either way, I would expect to see improvements in strength here and not in, uh, in any type of muscle hypertrophy sense. So that is what the main lifts are going to look like. That's going to be the crux of each of these workouts. And like always, we have a warm up and we have some, we have some, uh, prep work to help again, just get, get the body prepared. We're going to do a lot more work in the scapula. So doing scap pushups and scap pull-ups, basically just a way to help stabilize our shoulders and get us, uh, and really help with that overhead position as we get the upper back stronger. And so what scap pushups are, they're literally just put it in a push-up position and just pinching your shoulder blades back together and then rounding your shoulder blades for, uh, forward as far as you possibly can, and then squeezing it back. Same on the pull-ups, just in the pull position, squeezing your shoulder blades back and then rounding them full forward. Just a really good way to help prime your upper back. Um, shoulder injuries do happen in OCR, and when they do happen, it really hurts your ability to do the overhead work uh, on monkey bars and on um, like twisters, beaters, those things like that, any of the savage type of rigs. So we want to help strengthen that scapula to help that stability piece so we're going to be doing that pretty much every day of our strength work um because it's low it's uh low effort with a high payoff so um you won't be sore really it just really helps activate and stabilize the grip work that we're going to be doing we're going to be working back into our max hang protocol again in the previous phase that we were in we were working more on the endurance side of things longer hangs weighted hangs um, things are going to kind of blow you up a little bit more in your forearms. This we're going to be working on full on strength and power. So the max hang protocol is a 10 to 13 second uh, hang dead hang from a fingerboard or a towel, something that's challenging and it's also weighted. So in max hangs, a, a big mistake I see people doing is, is holding longer than what uh, than the 10 to 13 seconds. So in this case, longer is not better. We're working on maximum power output through our fingers and forearms and like um, our extenders and, and we want to make sure that we are loading ourselves up with enough weight that we can't hold this any longer than 15 seconds so if you're doing 30 seconds we're really that's not as heavy as you can go it would be like the same idea as doing a two to three rep back squat where it's the shorter rep ranges are going to help activate and uh, develop the maximum amount amount of strength so for the max hangs, a couple of things you could use are like a ledge on a wall. Fingerboards are really helpful for that and, and making sure that we are doing open hand and not crimping because if we went crimping, uh, we'll put ourselves at a, uh, a risk of getting injured, like popping some, some fingers there. So we want open hand on fingerboards or using a towel, a uh, towel or ropes. So something that's going to make it much more challenging. If you're doing like a straight bar, you're going to have to load yourself up with like hundreds of pounds. And it's going to be hard and really kind of a pain in the butt. But if you're doing a towel, you could probably do a max hang with a towel hang with like 20 pounds. <laughs> and it will be pretty hard to hold on to that for uh, 10 to 13 seconds. So that's really the idea behind that. We're going to superset this with some weighted dips or just um, 
we can do weighted dips or just body weight dips or bench dips if you don't have a dip bar. Uh, you can also use a dip bar or just use a straight bar across. So the dips are important to help get yourself up over walls. I mean, there's definitely ways to finagle your way up over a wall, like kicking your leg over and getting your arm up. But if you can press yourself out and push and push yourself over, it's just going to make things much more efficient and much easier. So we want to make sure we're working in that weighted dip, getting a full range of motion, getting all like getting your elbows to 90 degrees and, and working into uh, that chest and then pressing through your triceps. And then I want you to rest a little bit from the weighted dip into the uh, next max hang, because this is supposed to be a maximum effort on your hands and fingers. I want you to be fully recovered by the time we come back around. So give yourself two to three minutes after the weighted dip before you go back into the max hangs. I know it's annoying. And then just some of the accessory work we're doing chest support, dumbbell rows, some toes to bar, some walking lunges, some eccentric pull-ups, uh, eccentric pull-ups are worth noting, just making sure we're going down very slow, five to 10 seconds on our way down. It's going to create a lot of muscle damage in your lats. So we're only doing three of those. You can also load those up. If it, if you can just like go forever on the way down, load it up. So like five, or 10 seconds is challenging. One of the things I do want to touch on is some of our core work. We're going to be working into Turkish get-ups. We're going to be tur doing Turkish get-ups and half Turkish get-ups from our Monday workout and our Thursday workout. This is really going to help your coordination. It's a complicated movement that can pay off huge in terms of strength and core stability. Uh, so make sure you're watching the videos in these and kind of going through it. It's almost like a uh, choreographed sequence um, and doing the sequence is important for your shoulder stability and making sure you can move as much weight as possible. So this is a very dynamic core movement. It's not going to be one of the glamour type movements, like something like a toaster bar or a GHD sit-ups. You're going to get a better like physical results in, with your rectus abdominis, with your actual show muscles. This is just going to help you move weight and stay stable under, under a heavy load. Um, so start light because it is a little bit complicated and then work yourself up. Working on the half Turkish get-ups are a great way to go from the ground, just popping yourself up um, using your actual core. Uh, and then we are going to supplement that with some um, plate pinch grip holds. So that's just going to be getting a plate and, and holding it in a pinch grip like a farmer's walk. You're just going to hold there uh, 60 seconds max, doing as heavy as you can. Um, both 60 seconds of max. And then we're going to be doing some kettlebell swings on the opposite day on your Thursday workout for the kettlebell swing. I want it to be as heavy as possible with good form. One thing to really note for this, when I see people doing kettlebell swings, people use their hips to drive that weight up to about their eyes, which is, would be your Russian kettlebell swing, which is where I want it to be. And the bottom of the kettlebell should be facing directly toward the wall that you're looking at and not like tip down forward. So it's enough power to get that kettlebell completely horizontal. But then when it's there, a lot of times I see people just kind of let it, let it swing, like gravity, take it back down. And that misses a huge opportunity in the kettlebell swing to really grab it and pull it down as hard as you can to help that really engages your lat strength. Like if you do kettlebell swings, right, you should be sore in your lats. It's as long, even though it's not like a vertical pull, it kind of acts that way with pulling it, pulling that weight back down between your legs and then exploding up through your hips. So making sure that you're driving that weight back down is a huge adjustment that you can make on these that will make the workout much more active and much more difficult, but will pay off big in the long run. So make sure you're getting that weight 
completely horizontal and pulling it back down under your your hips. Uh, same for the single arm kettlebell swing that we will progress ourselves into. So that is the basically those are the basic principles that I want to touch on for the actual program itself. So that's we are working on general strength. So it's going to be working lower reps, higher weight. The, with the wave movements and through max hangs, those are the big ones. And then for the Turkish get those are the three main things that I want you guys to work on. And then also uh, just some of the accessory lifts that are always in there. The running workouts, I'm real excited for these. These should be a butt kicker. They are going to be an absolute grind. They feel horrible, but they pay off big. So I'm excited for you to feel, feel these workouts, feel them. Cool. So let's get into the next concept here. So in the actual uh, plan itself, you'll see that the on the easy runs, I have it prescribed as 180 minus your age or your, your math, your maximum aerobic function. So I want to talk a little bit about what that means and why that's prescribed in these uh, in the actual plan itself. So uh, it's just an easy, so right away, it's an easy way to kind of calculate where your easy heart rate should be. So there's a couple of different methods that go into heart rate training. So I want to start back and talk about a couple of these methods and how to use them and why I'm choosing to use this specific method. And even though we're not using it to a T to why it is, how it's designed and how it was developed and what it's supposed to be doing, it's still a useful tool that you can use into your own training for a specific purpose. So we're going to go into all of that. So the traditional method of how you can find your heart rate zones, right? It would be taking 220 minus your age. So this is extremely generalized, right? This is saying that every 50 year old is the same level of fitness. Um, and this is, again, it's generalized and it's kind of on a bell curve, right? It works for a lot of people in the middle, but there's people on the fringes where that's going to be way too uh, low of a heart rate and way too high of a heart rate. And for endurance athletes like you and people who are listening, that's not necessarily going to hit the mark. It's kind of like how, how BMI, the body mass index works, where it's just height times weight doesn't take into any consideration of muscle mass or performance. So people might be obese who are super jacked or who might be um, on the opposite side of that spectrum who are very lean and just like runners who might need to see like they're malnourished. But for the general public, taking your height and your weight is a decent way to figure out if there is something that you could do nutritionally to change things. But for the most part, BMI isn't going to work for all people. And that's kind of how the 220 minus your age works. So what that would typically do, you would take that and then you would take the percentages of the zones that uh, you take different percentages and that would kind of create these heart rate zones. And then it'd be like, if you want to do zone one, some really easy stuff, it would be your max heart rate times X amount of percentage. And that would be your zone one. And then you would know to keep stay there for easy effort zone two, but they would have the same type of effort there. So that isn't an so again that's not a great way to do it uh if you're going to be going off heart rate if you're a very generalized athlete um then then you probably shouldn't focus on heart rate at all if you're just someone who's going to the gym which you're not which who most people listening to this and taking this in they're not someone who's uh just going to the gym for general fitness we're training here right so 
it doesn't make a ton of sense to have that method given to the general public. And so we don't use it. I don't use it. I don't think it's great. I don't think it makes a ton of sense. I typically don't use zone heart rate zone training in general uh, there. It's just, there's, there's pieces that are just too many factors at play when it comes to your nutrition, your sleep, your, the actual hardware, which isn't accurate always in my opinion, and just outside factors like stress and just like hydration, a whole bunch of things can go into play when it comes to your heart rate. But if you were going to go on heart rate training, there's definitely a better way to do it. And I'm just going to explain that real quick, or I'm actually not sure how quick this will be, but I'm going to explain it anyway. So, so doing this, so getting your heart rate, the best way to do it is to either go to a lab and they'll be able to kind of take care of that for you. But you can take care of that without doing like these expensive lab tests that are extremely controlled is by doing some sort of field test. So you can do a 20 minute field test on running and biking. We're going to talk about just running for this as biking is outside of the, the specificity of OCR training. Uh, I'm sure you could get really good energy development through heart rate training on a bike. Um, but for the sake of this conversation and for OCR, we're going to be talking about just the uh, the run piece. So what a field test is, you'll be doing 20 minutes at a comfortable but hard pace. And every five minutes or so, you're going to increase that effort. The rate of perceived exertion should be gradual, but by the end, you should be working pretty hard at that at, at the field test. Then when you finish that, you cool down, then you go and you can take a look at your heart rate data over the course of that 20 minutes, take your average heart rate from that field test and then subtract it by 5%. And then there's different heart heart rate charts that are associated that you can take that specific average heart rate and then plug it into to find your, your different zones. So I'm just going to use myself for an example on this. I haven't done a field test in a while, but I have a good idea of, of where this type of, of effort would kind of put me. I would imagine that I would be right around like one probably under right under 150, like 147, 148. So I'm just going to use 150 as the example here. So if I take 5% off of 150, that leaves my average, that leaves my heart rate at 143. So that's the heart rate I'm going to be working off of. And then I'm going to multiply it by the zones. The zones are, you'll hear them like zone one, zone two, zone three, zone four, then there's like zone five A and then five B and then there's like five C or whatever, six or, or, or whatever they call it. Just uh, a way that is going to be above your, your threshold there. So if I was to want to do a workout in zone one, what I would do, I would take this 150 and then I would multiply it by 85%. This is according to these charts and anything under that heart rate effort would be a zone one effort. So for me, I would know if I take 150 and multiply it by 85%, that will put me at 121. So if my heart rate was under 121, I'm working in zone one. If I wanted a regular uh, zone two effort, I would take 85 to 89% of that, which would put me between 121 and 127 beats per minute, which would be my zone two, which is fairly accurate. Like if I'm going out for a regular run, I'm going to be spending a lot. I could spend a ton of time at 121 to 127 running at a decent pace that I could, that I know I can sustain for a long time. And then when it gets in the zone three, it would be 90 to 94%, which is 128 to 134 beats per minute. So this is me working a little bit hard right before that threshold. So it really goes from starting at 85%. That's the lowest end. It is going to be working into, um, goes up by four, 
percentage points. And that's the kind of where to figure out your target range. So if you really wanted to go on heart rate data, that is how I would recommend doing it. And then you would know exactly where to go. So it's like, okay, I have an easy run today. I need to have my heart rate between uh, 121 beats per minute and 127 beats per minute. And that's how I would know no matter what terrain I was on, no matter what my whatever it was feeling like that's where i'd know where i should be and eventually my pace should get better as my heart rate stays in that same range that's how you can really kind of gauge your fitness as you move forward so if you are a real data nerd and really want this type of feedback and hard uh like hard data so that you you can like feel confident that you're getting more fit. It's a pretty good approach. I don't disagree with this approach. I don't love it for OCR and for hybrid racing, just because there are so many different elements within the actual uh, event. It's going to move your heart rate in and out. So you're, so say for like in a high rocks event, the sled pull for me, my heart rate drops. It goes down like a ton because there are just muscular factors there that stops my rate of, of exertion. Does that mean I'm working less hard? Like not really, <laughs> it feels like I'm working harder, but my heart rate's down. So if I was to stick just in my heart rate zone, and want it to be like right at zone four, I don't, it wouldn't be there. I would have to work outside of the parameters here. So this is really good for something that's going to be pretty predictable. Uh, biking is a great example, but, um, Viking also has like the power meter now, which makes it even uh, more predictable. But if you're running on a treadmill, if you have some flat running that you can do or you're doing a marathon or a half marathon or training for it, I would like this is not a bad a bad way to do it. But for OCR and for hybrid stuff, there's just too many elements to really have your heart rate data hard set. Um, but if there was workouts, like I mentioned before in this, uh, for the, the next phase where it's working at an incline, uh, you might get a good sense of what that, what your heart rate's going to look like and what zone you're going to be in or kind of working in your specific zones, depending on what energy system you're looking to work on and what race you have coming up. So it's okay, but it's not, it's not perfect and things change and we had to, and we would have to do these like field tests often. And like the, the reliability of people executing those well is pretty low. Uh, going into a lab is expensive and annoying. So I wouldn't necessarily recommend doing this. <laughs> I personally, in my own practice, what I train, I don't do it. And I don't prescribe it too often because it just doesn't leave any element of perceived exertion in, or there's like no art to the coaching into the workouts. It's all just hard data, hard science. I'm like, that's cool and all, but I think you miss a big part of the, the equation for it. So back to the math. So the maximum aerobic function is just like a really straightforward and simple way to figure out where your highest heart rate should be to keep you in your aerobic zone. So this is really beneficial for newer runners and for people who might be off of running for a long time. And it's a great way to kind of figure out if you are working too hard on your easy runs or if you are uh, not developed aerobically enough. So this would be, so the math for me would be pretty high on, uh, it would be, it'd be pretty strenuous. So it would be about 145, which if by going, so currently 180, it, uh, again, the formula is 180 minus your age. All right. So 145 for me is directly in like 
is a hundred percent. It's like zone four, zone, zone four, zone five for me. So that would be a very hard run for me, but I've been running for uh, a long time. My aerobic development, my aerobic fitness is very high. So I wouldn't necessarily need to spend a ton of time working at my math, where if other people who are just kind of coming into it, who can't keep their heart rate under like 150 on any specific run, or if they're running even like, you know, eight minute, nine minute pace, it feels okay. But the heart rate's like 150, 155. That means they're not going to have, they don't have the aerobic development yet. So this is where math really kind of kicks in and can be really helpful. Now the method itself is, and this is my interpretation of it. It's meant to be done. Like most of your running should be done at this aerobic piece to help yourself become a little bit more metabolically flexible to work on fats as fuel a little bit more. Uh, it helps. They claim to help keep you a little bit more healthy because you're not running hard. So it's easier on your, your muscular system. Um, but for, but you need to do it for a long time. So it'd be like, you would just run at your math for like a year. So if you're just coming into running and you're just doing running, then I think the working on the math system would be pretty, a pretty good way to build a big solid aerobic base. And you'll probably get a lot faster. So I think it's really good for newer athletes or people who are just coming back into the sport or might not have any uh, races on the docket for a while and who, or who are, are okay with, taking the long-term approach to this and, and working and sitting at the math math while they uh, improve uh, uh, their aerobic system. Because without your aerobic system being developed, all this hard work isn't going to, uh, isn't going to be like absorbed as much as it would be if you were uh, aerobically developed. So what would happen is that you would get into more your anaerobic system without necessarily knowing it. And, and then you would get all out of balance. Your aerobic system needs to be a lot bigger than your anaerobic system to handle the byproduct of the anaerobic work. So you can do anaerobic work over and over and over, but if you don't, if your aerobic system isn't there, like your aerobic system helps with the byproduct of the anaerobic work. And if that's not built up big enough, like you'll just run out of, uh, the ability to to recycle what the anaerobic functions are doing. So the analogy I use, I've used this before, um, is like if you were uh, at a factory and you had a uh, assembly line factory and you focused on producing more, but you didn't have you didn't hire more employees to handle the assembly line production, things would get backed up. And eventually you have to slow things down because uh, there's not enough workers there to move the things along. So doing the aerobic work is like hiring more employees. And then the aerobic work, the anaerobic work is like uh, the, the handling of the byproduct. So the aerobic work is very important and it, your anaerobic work can't really be done, shouldn't really be done without the extra employees in the factory to help move this product along. And you see that happen a lot. So what this, what the math does is really help keep most athletes under their uh, aerobic threshold so that they're not dipping into, not going into the anaerobic zone too often because they're not developed enough to handle the work. So it might seem very, very slow and pretty often, but where, where we prescribe this in the RTG is going to be a lot of the easy runs, a lot of the longer runs. So that is really important to take note. And like I said, it's not necessarily going to be like 
zone one or zone two. It's just a good way to help keep yourself easy. So it's not really using the concept the way it's supposed to be used. And I know that, but it's a good measure for how to know if your running is too fast. Uh, you could also use breathing directly out of your nose uh, as a measure. So if you're going on an easy run and you're only breathing through your nostrils, then things are pretty easy. Or if you can have a full on conversation, like talking in paragraphs, how I'm talking now without needing to pause or to take breaks. But if you run by yourself a lot, that's kind of weird. That's kind of weird to just like be out there talking or singing or something like that. So that is what math is for on this. Again, we're, we're using it sort of. <laughs> and if you were having a hard time staying under your math, I would recommend spending a lot more time on the bike or the rower so that when your heart rate goes, you're, you're going to have a harder time getting your heart rate that high on those implements but you can spend a lot more time under that math or right bumped up next to your math. So I would recommend that on our easy days or on most easy days, this is a kind of a number that you use as a, as a, a light benchmark. And this is mostly going to be for people who are just kind of coming into running, who are upping their volume for the first time or have taken a, a long hiatus off. Not if someone's been running for 10 or 15 years, it's probably not going to be a great barometer for your effort. Cool. All right. So I hope this all makes sense. If you're checking this out on YouTube or listening on a podcast, you can get a free seven day trial for the RTG. You can try out this phase, the first week of this phasing to see how this feels for you. You have the full explanation if you listened all the way through. So make sure you check that out below. Let me know what questions pop up and cool. I'll talk to you soon. Let's get after it.